Well, welcome to the True Man Podcast with Mike Van Pelt, the comeback coach, helping you gain peace, clarity, and understanding in your walk with God as a man, a father, and a spouse. Hey, get involved with the show. Send your email to mike at truemanlifecoaching.com. If you're wondering what's gone adrift in my masculine soul and asking, is there more to life? This is where it begins. This is the True Man Podcast. Welcome to the True Man Podcast. This is an invitation to radical reconstruction of the man's masculine heart and soul in a place of safe community where we dare to ask questions deep-seated inside a man and explore ways to help you become a better man, a better son, a better dad, and a better spouse. Well, I hope. I hope you're having an exceptional day. I know I am. Welcome back to the True Man Podcast. And what a special treat I have for you today. We get to talk about the power of peace with Mr. Kit Cummings. Now, the power of peace isn't just about Kit's wonderful nonprofit, which I encourage you to go check out in the show notes. It's about having peace in your own life. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes peace feels elusive. (laughs) It feels like something I'm constantly chasing. Do you ever feel that way? Now, on today's podcast, Kit tells us his personal story and pay attention because at one point in his life, peace was elusive to him as well. But, you know, Kit has a comeback story and it's impacting lives. And folks, that's what it's all about. So let's get right to it and I'll catch you after this great interview. Well, welcome to the True Man Podcast. Now, I'm going to put a danger warning on the front of this conversation today because today's guest and I are both part of a Friday morning men's group called The Misfits. So shout out to the Friday morning gang. And and just that name alone should tell you this interview could go sideways at any second. So I hope today's guest is absolutely on his best behavior. And speaking of that, let's just jump right in and introduce this guy because he's so amazing. Kit Cummings is the founder of the Power of Peace Project. He started in 2010 here in Atlanta, Georgia. Kit is an award-winning author, a teacher, a speaker, a violence prevention specialist, and Kit uses his wonderful skills and experience to resolve conflict in places I don't want to go into like prisons and juvenile (laughs) courts, schools, corporations, and faith-based communities. Kit, welcome to the True Man Podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's uh, great to be here. The Friday Misfits. Yeah, we could, we could also be called the the Friday mo- morning knuckleheads. <laughs> I mean, misfit. Just a, I mean, it's real fun. You know, we just it's a ragtag group of guys. We just kind of talk about stuff. We try to get spiritual. That's right. Stuff. It's important to have those types of groups. Now, speaking of groups, I would be remiss if I d- didn't mention one other group that you and I are a part of. And I think this is important because. Okay. I was thinking about this uh, as I was preparing for the podcast. So I don't know if you remember this, Kip, but we we met actually shortly after I moved to Atlanta, Georgia at the West Cobb Business Association. You happened to be speaking that day and they had moved. me. I don't even ask. Somebody said, come sit up here at this table. And we were sitting right next to each other and you spoke. And I'm telling you, I'd never heard you speak before. I didn't know you. And I was like, whoa, there's something going on with this dude right here. This is some amazing stuff. And we connected and I went up to your office and you had such great advice. In fact, you told me 
you know, if you if you write a book and at the point that we're talking right now, uh, I've actually been in three collaboration books and I'm working on my own book. So there you go. Nice. Uh, I'm following your advice. And then the other thing that you talked about was, Mike, you need to check out North Cobb Rotary. So we're going to say a shout out to our North Cobb Rotary friends because it's it's because of you that I'm a part of that group. So I don't know if you remember that meeting here that we had a couple of years ago, but that's how we met. That's cool. Because no, I mean, if you'd have challenged me and said, do you remember? I wouldn't have remembered. And and now, you know, yeah, they call me the absent minor professor for real. My wife calls me that. But of course, yeah, I absolutely remember. I didn't remember I was the guy that got you into North Cobb Rotary. Yeah. But, yeah. Hey, for, for anybody that is about Rotary, I mean, what a beautiful service organization. It, we've got a family. I mean, I speak oh, yeah. a pretty good bit. Never seen one like North Cobb. It's family. It's fun. So, well, good. There you I'm go. glad I was able to do that. <laughs> yeah. If you're ever in Kennesaw on a Thursday morning, look us, look us up. Come over to North Cobb Rotary. Uh, you might find Kit and I there uh, sipping on a cup of coffee and uh, having a nice, nice breakfast. So, now, Kit, you know, your story is absolutely fantastic. And I want to talk about what you're doing uh, with your nonprofit, the Power of Peace Project. But you know, if it started there, we'd miss a nice chunk of the story about how you got there. So, so I don't know where the jumping off point for you is today, but how did we get to the point where this Power of Peace project became such a thing for you? What's the backstory on how we got to this place today? The short answer is pain and loss and failure. <laughs> that's that's what I <laughs> how's that for a business plan well you know what though that that that's real and that's raw and that's where a lot of men find them themselves and they they don't know how to get out of that so how yeah. do you know tell your story a little bit yeah um, i will and i'll definitely give you the thirty thousand feet because I, I look forward to going wherever you want to go sure least likely guy to become a preacher Grew up here in, in Georgia, Cobb County, Marietta, right where I sit off the square. Marietta is where I have my office space. We live about a long walk the other way. So this is my headquarters where I grew up. But I mean, I was a wild child, like big time. And I and I come by it honest. I mean, I say it, the, the men in my family line were thirsty. OK, so we've got a you know, we've got uh, addiction running through our family line. We've got some mental health. And, and like you said, everybody does. I mean, everybody does. It's just a matter of how much and what flavor. So anyway, that provided for an interesting childhood. Tragically, I lost my dad when I was in college to that disease. And so it's very, very close to my heart. I'm in long term recovery. And so uh, anyway, that's that's kind of my story. I was a good athlete. And so I did pretty well. You know, I mean, I was able to stay out of much trouble growing up. You know, I was in the back of the squad car a handful of times, but it was all just crazy being being crazy, you know, wild, whether it be just out there. I mean, we, that <laughs> did a lot, but sports kind of kept me from getting in too much trouble. And then, you know, the drinking caught up with me. And in the mid twenties at 25, I met a guy that changed my life and I had never studied the book. I'd never <laughs> read the Bible, gone to church. I wasn't that guy at all. And I fell in love. I mean, one thing about me is I've only got one speed. And when I fall, I fall hard. And um, and I'm talking about fall in love. You know what I'm saying? I've got not with my queen. I got one queen. You know? <laughs> I love her. I'm in love with my wife. So 
<clears throat> but anyway, it's like all out. So when I fell in love with God, I just was like, okay, what do I want to do? I got to do this like on a big scale. And inside of a year, I was training for the full-time ministry. And so that would set me on a very important season of my life between 25 to 40. I mean, think about that wheelhouse for it. For yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's where you're building. And I found my dream. I found my calling. When I was on my first stage, the audience came alive and I came alive. And I walked off that stage and I was like, I don't know what that was, but I want to do that again. And so I, I started banging away on my craft and it turned out I was I was pretty good at it. I could lead churches. I could grow churches. And by the time I was in my mid 30s, I was in charge of thousands, you know, in a pretty large um, network of churches. And I was traveling and I was speaking. And I, you know, I had some success. And then mid 40s caught up with me and, you know, our midlife, I should say. And I just started getting thirsty again. You know, the pressure of leading, you know, at, at that level and th they put you on a pedestal. I mean, mad respect for anybody who's trying to do that job. Because What hard. did that feel like, Kit? I mean, I, I, you know, been around a lot of pastors and, and it's a huge responsibility. But when it you is. get to, you know, when you get to a larger church and, and people are screaming for more, what, do, what does it feel like to be responsible for that flock? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, shout out to North Star Church and Mike Lynch, who, you know, is my pastor, but and a great influence, a great friend, a brother in my life. But he's built for it. I mean, that dude was raised right. And and he developed a, a heart for ministry as a young, as a youth. And then in college, it was his calling and he always knew it. And really, I mean, good guy. We all got chinks in our armor, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I ain't found many in that dude. But, but anyway, with me, it was a whole different experience. I was coming out of tumultuous. I mean, I was trying to get sober. I was trying to figure out who am I going through the stuff of my dad and a lot of stuff that I went through growing up. There was a big part of me that needed validation. Okay. Now, this is kind of warning signs for people that want to be in the public spotlight. Everywhere you go, people are looking at you like, you know, if they're if you're at a restaurant, you know, people are looking to see, is he drinking? <laughs> you know, is he yeah, yeah. whatever? It's just like this fishbowl thing that's exhausting. But if I'm being just gut level honest, which, of course, I will. A lot of times I felt like a poser. You know, I felt like a it, the, the imposter syndrome, which I know yeah. is a big deal with men. I mean, that's a whole show. Yeah. But anyway, it was. I wanted the next promotion. I was very ambitious and I wanted the bigger church. When we had big conferences, I wanted that stage. And it it really, you know, my craving and desire, you know, for it wasn't just attention and spotlight. It was I want to know that I'm that I'm worthy of this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want to know. And I had a congregation that was I mean, they oh, they were so supportive. And I mean, it was it was everything they ever wanted. But it developed an insecurity in me. And I feel like when I was a young man, when I fell in love with God and devoted my life to him, shoot, I believe, you know, I mean, I, I believe in amazing grace. And I know, I mean, I never doubted that he he adopted me. You know, I mean, he became his son in a new way. But that doesn't mean that I was healed. Yeah. Right out of the water. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, ooh, I'm tipped up. And so right when I went into leadership as a young man and they started giving me responsibility, now all of a sudden you got to be the expert on everything. Every people coming, you know, you know, help me with my marriage, help me with my kids, parenting. You know, I'm going through a crisis and it's like I loved it and I was well trained and I always had men in my life. But it got real heavy 
And then I started self-medicating. And for someone built like me, <laughs> that's the perfect storm. So I had, you know, suffice to say, I had a public fall from grace and went through a divorce. Now, here's the guy that's supposed to be teaching people about that. Yeah. I'm seeing my kids on the weekend. You know, I'm, my drinking goes through the roof at this point because I'm just in so much pain. This is 20 years ago. And it was what it was. And so I found myself out there alone. 2004 was a dark year. I mean, I was I was out there, man. I wasn't hanging in, you know, in uh, cathedrals. I was hanging in clubs. And I got to a point where I didn't care. If somebody sees me, whatever. And I was driving drunk. I'm a serial drunk driver when I when I drink. I mean, which is... I say that very, that's sacred. And I say that, you know, to, to the, uh, there those that are yeah. playing that game, you know, addiction is like that. I'll never do that. And then <laughs> not yet. And then you do it. So anyway, I mean, I want to wrap up this first question. So I'm out there and I get sober in 2005 and start my journey back. But now I'm a pulpit, a preacher without a pulpit. <laughs> it's like, man, yeah. what do you do when your dreams come true and then you squander them all? That's what happened to me. Yeah. And so I was looking for my purpose, got remarried, you know, won the respect of my kids. I mean, I got my life together, but it, there was a huge hole. And I prayed, if you ever let me preach again, this was life changing. I'll go to the ones that nobody wants to go to. I called them the harassed and helpless and the least of these. Jesus called them the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the stranger and the prisoner, the least of these. And I said, I'll go there. And I don't even know what possessed me to pray that because within a couple of years, he took his time getting me ready. But then he sent a kid into my life that was in big trouble. And then I walked into my first prison to serve. The lights came on and I went to 100 prisons and jails and detention centers over the next 10 years. I mean, that's a real number, over 100 facilities. And the incarcerated became my life. What was the draw to that, Kit? Do you, do, was it, was it? Does that stem from like the troubles that you went through? Like, I want to be next to these, these guys, because I know what they've gone through. Was that is that kind of where the draw was there? It had to be a lot of that. I mean, broken people are so beautiful. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> well, we're all broken. They're so right? <laughs> but think about. I mean, Jesus was drawn to the least of these because he was them. He was poor. He was yeah. ridiculed. He was homeless. His mom was an unwed teenage pregnant mother. I mean, scandalous. He got run out of the country when he was a toddler for his own life. I mean, he died a death row convict. I mean, it's like these are his people. And then he said, however you treat them is how you treat me. Well, I took that serious. And so whether it be the death row inmate I was working with or cartels in Tijuana and everything in between, I put them on the pedestal. I'm like, I, I'm going to show them the ultimate respect. And what that did for me was it confirmed what he said. He says, when you love them, you love me and I will be with them. So I'm like, well, then I'm going to be with them all the time. And so I, I became a friend to the homeless and to the prisoner and to the prostitute and to the, the ones that get looked down on. And it changed my life. I mean, it got me to a place. I can't, when I walk into a prison, I feel the power of God more than when I walk into the sanctuary. And no disrespect to churches, <laughs> but it's just, like, <laughs> you know. So talk about that. I mean, you, you start down that rabbit hole and all of a sudden becomes the birth of the, the Power of Peace project, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a crazy idea I had. Okay, I'm speaking <laughs> this in 2010. I'm speaking in Philadelphia. I had started doing some prison work. I'm invited to be a keynote at a nonprofit conference. 
and I do my gig. It goes well. I'm in the back, pretty large audience. And then the host uh, gets up. And this was in December of 2010. The following year would be the 25th anniversary of MLK Day. Now, I've, all, I've been following Dr. King since I was you know, 25. And when I discovered him and, and um, he's radically impacted my life and my work. So um, the host put Dr. King's face on the screen. They said he said, go back to your city and do something significant <laughs> uh, in honor of Dr. King's 25th anniversary of MLK Day. And which yesterday, you know, uh, this Monday, after we're going to celebrate his 95th birthday, believe it or not, he would have been 95. And so anyway, it just clicked. And I went. This was my idea. I was like, we could do a peace movement inside of this prison I'm going to every week called Hayes, which is the worst prison in the state of Georgia. It's just kind of, I mean, I'm talking about gangster um, and in honor of King. That's what we'll do. So it was so significant. I got the taxi driver to take me to the Rocky statue. I'm a big Rocky dude. Behind me with his hands up. And, yeah. and I was like, this is my day. And I claimed it, man. This is a very important day. I started writing down notes that were coming to me on the flight back to Atlanta. And, you know, we launched it at that prison and it was a crazy dream. And it developed into a program where we'd bring rival prison gangs together 40 days at a time. And that prison got so peaceful that year at one prison of the year in the state of Georgia. Went from worst to first. It got me on the map. And I would end up doing that program with rival cartel <laughs> i mean it just became this thing and now it's all about young people who are in trouble so that's how i stumbled into it was it just an idea that was so electric i chased it you know i think a lot of us and, and maybe i'll just speak for me you know we have this idea that that uh prisons are fill, filled with you know thugs and and um you know, well, those people, they, they don't belong in society. They should be a put away for what they, they, they've done. And, and the, the, the reality is there's not a lot of rehabilitation going on in those places. There's not a lot of quote unquote peace going on in those places. It's a rough environment. It is. So how do you bring peace to a mu another man's life when they're locked up searching for hope? Yeah. It's, I mean, your show, true man show, it's like men. I mean, just the way we're put together, what, what motivates us, what inspires us, what discourages us, what, you know, scares us. It's like men are men. And so in these, in these circumstances, you've got, you know, a thousand to 2000 men crammed into a small space and none of them want to be there. And there is a culture that develops. I call it the convict code. And it's the rules of the game in a dangerous place. And so what I did is, you know, I'll work with a warden. You give me a prison in the United States, man, it's, I can't wait. Let's do this. <laughs> and if they will work with me and give me the hundred most influential men in that prison. Okay. Which is, let's say one out of 10, you give me the, the 10% that are really influencing this prison and give them to me for eight weeks. And we go through a curriculum I developed and we study the great ones like King and Gandhi and Mandela, Dalai Lama, and Cesar Chavez and the great iconic peacemakers from the 20th century. And we drill down and we talk to the men in them instead of these are guys that don't do programs. I'm talking about tattoos on their face, clips, yeah. yeah. bloods, gangster disciples, MS-13. I mean, just like in a place where 
<laughs> it gets lively. And it's it appeals to them. Speaking sure. to them as man, what kind of man are you? And and there is a they allow it. I get to say things to some dangerous dudes and they respect it and they allow it because it speaks to them. And then we 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 go 40 days at a time and we call those guys that are leading to lead in a new way. And it's crazy. Something happens and we come back and we celebrate it. We bring in music and free world food. We used to do tours in a, in a van with a hip hop crew. We roll in, we do three shows a day, one prison to another. And just, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was so much fun, but <laughs> it's like a brotherhood and some, somewhere along the way they adopted me and I became a made man. And because they know I love them. It's like you're, a, mis- you're a misfit. You're a misfit. A knucklehead. <laughs> Johnny Cash fell in love with prisoners and he started doing, you know, Folsom prison in San Quentin. Yeah. And he loved them so hard that they were convinced that he had done time. And he would tell them he never did. He got arrested. He had a serious drug problem, almost died. But they were like, nah, there's no way you can love us and know us like you do if you want one of us. That's what happened with me. And they started saying, man, he loves us. He fights for us. He tries to help us get a better life in this place. And they honor that. They respect that. What, so, what do you think it is uh, 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 about what you're doing, Kit, that they they allow you to talk into them in that way? I mean, is that something that probably most of these men, probably not unlike a lot of guys walking around on the street today, have missed in their life? Yeah. Yeah. They People fear them. And they don't respect them. And they definitely haven't got to a place where they love them. And I was coming. It was perfect Mm. storm, Mike. I was coming out of just hell for me where I'd lost my voice and I'd lost my heart. And they they gave me a it's crazy. Maximum security prisons, the tougher, the better, gave me a safe space. (laughs) that I could be me and not be careful and share my pain and share my heartaches and share my failures with real men that know what pain and loss and failure is all about. And it was cathartic for me because I could unload all this shame that I was carrying and they loved me for it. They weren't used to men coming in, treating them with respect and love and being honest with them and saying, I'm screwed up and here's how bad I messed it up. And they're like, I mean, they're like, whoa, a dude's coming in, not trying to save This us. is quite the analogy, I got to say, right? Because a lot of people walking around in a self-induced prison, and you're talking about going into a physical prison in order to get out of your self-induced prison. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's powerful stuff, man. Well, and then they, think about it. I became their, their hero. They became mine. And so I couldn't go to the next one, and I expected that response. And then it became, I'm so playful and comfortable in these places that, I mean, I walked up day before yesterday. I, I work with these young knuckleheads in juvenile correctional facilities. And uh, I walk up on a kid that I don't know well at all. And I, I developed this in the adult prisons is I walk up on a dude and just stand next to him, act like I don't see him, or I'll come up and I'll bump him in the back and I'll just turn sideways. And this dude will turn around like, who just did that? And I'll be sitting there like that and go, man, don't you do that to me. And I'm like, what you going to do? He goes, man, I'll, I'll. <laughs> and so it's like, I shock them with the way that I treat with them. It's playful. It's fun. And it's very engaging for them. And they can't wait for the next time. Jesus said, when I was in prison, you came to visit me. 
He didn't say you came to train me, disciple me, save me, change me. He said you came to visit with me. And that is the secret is you long to be with them. And when you do, I'm telling you, poor people and locked up people are so much more fascinating than rich people. You give me a <laughs> bunch of poor people to hang with and I'll choose them any day over the rich and famous and successful because they're boring a lot of time. So. But 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 they make good donors. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about <laughs> that later. You. Hey, thank you for throwing that in there, brother. I, I didn't want to leave that off. I was trying to help you out, brother. Thank you, man. You I'll know what? You. you know what's interesting though, because you I, and th this is fascinating to me I, because I work in the men's community, and I I feel like what, uh, you know, when I have these conversations with men, what they're looking for is love. They're looking for more intimacy. Um, they're looking for more relationships and you're talking about, you're, you're, you're using the same language. You're talking about people in prison. They're looking for the same thing. The regular guy on the street is, aren't they? Yep. And it's pretty simple. It's like, well, it's, it's simple, but it's difficult. Okay. These guys are not running around singing hallelujah and, and holding hands. Kumbaya. I mean, these are hard dudes and these are enemies. I'm, I'm teaching them what a real leader looks like show me true yeah. power and this appeals to them because i'm like tell me which is more powerful a dude that's got the influence to send three soldiers to go and you know get a guy that's power right that's the only power they know on the inside and i'm like what about a guy that's got so much power he can tell everybody lay it down no violence and no we're not gonna have dot violence mm. in this dorm we're not gonna have violence in this compound and if you got two or three guys that are influential like that and then they're all of a sudden like I challenge them. Show me true power. Violence is easy. Violence is lazy. Come on, man. Three guys jumping on one. There's no honor in that. Show me real power and then we'll talk. And it and it it calls them to do something great. Now it's edgy. And I've you know, I've had enemies <laughs> in there. I mean, there's been threats. You know, when there's a, a kite, you know, they write on these little bitty piece of papers the way they communicate through guards, they'll pass it, whatever. And when a kite goes out and it says, tell the white boy to watch his back. And you have a credible threat and you're walking yeah. in dorms where that's where they live. I mean, that was then you find out how much do I really care about what I do? Like, am I really in or is it first sign of danger or, or opposition that I'm out? <laughs> Plan B, I can always go back to this. And this was wonderful because it gave me I quit, bro. I quit the ministry. I gave up. I lost my heart. You talk about failing when you commit your life to God. I walked away from a marriage. Okay, so I've got some major quitting things as men that hurts us. It hurts yeah. our self-esteem. It helps our self-respect. I didn't yeah. respect me anymore, man, because I had quit on, on the biggest things in life you can quit. Walking away from a marriage and your kids, walking away from the ministry and God. It's like I had a lot of damage in there, bro. And so there was, I, I'm the wounded healer. Just going in and saying, bro, I'm not trying to fix anybody. And I tell them, hey, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm not coming in here trying to bring God to you. I'm coming here trying to find God in you. There's a difference. And when you're looking for God in front of somebody, they know if you're searching for the good in them. One of my greatest gifts that he gave me, I can't take credit for it, is I can find beauty in the most seemingly ugly things. And the person, whether, I mean, really, death row is probably the, the you've got a brother that's done the worst thing, probably some mental illness. Yeah. Um, they're waiting on a phone call. They never want to come. And when those brothers feel loved 
And it's like, man, I'm looking for the good in you. The good begins to shine, at least with you. And then if you leave, it's like they might go back being, you know, knucklehead. But there's power in love. There really is. And when men love other men, I'm telling you, we know it because we're living in a world where men are trying to impress one another and win yeah. over one another. And, you know, if I win, you lose. You know, if I lose, you win. And it's it's comforting when when a man shows up and he's authentic and he's willing to share his words because he ain't afraid of what yeah. you think. And maybe the other guy does the same. Well, you know, and and I think it helps too. You know, our our guys, we we like to fix things, right? We fix cars, we fix you know houses, we we fix things. We try to fix our wives. We try to. Yeah, I mean, we. Just, I, I didn't want to go there, you know, kid, but you did. No, but we try to. We do. We try to fix our families. We try to fix, and we use the term fix. And we try to fix our faith too sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's danger in using that term fix. And I'm just a big believer. We all have it inside of us. You know, we're just looking for somebody like a Kit Cummings, you know, to walk into a prison wall and go, dude, I'm not here to fix you. Mm. You know, but, you know, I want you to know you, you got something inside of you. Now, if you want to investigate that, that's what I'm here for. And I think that that means, a lot. And I think that, you know, as you know, having come from the ministry, I think this is where a lot of churches get in trouble too. You know, you know, you just can't be shouting out to people. I mean, we all know we're sinners, right? And, and I, at least I always say, I know I'm a sinner. Just tell me, help me get to the point where you give me some instruction. Here. <laughs> like, yeah. Is there yeah. a manual? And, and um, you know, so I'm fascinated by the, the work you do. And I think for a lot of people, you know, that, that there's so many similarities to what goes on in prisons and similarities to what goes on outside of prisons. It's those self-induced prisons that people put themselves in. So true. And so many of us have been lucky uh, because we did a lot of stupid things, particularly when we were young, that we didn't end up in a place like that. So true. That's what, um, and I carry that close to my heart because, you know, I tell the young ones, you know, I call it my kryptonite. You put alcohol in this brain and it changes. Now, that makes me different than other men, probably including yourself. There's one out of 10 of us that we don't have a good off switch. And so when you put alcohol yeah. in this brain, I, I think differently immediately. And I want to go and do this, want to go and see this. And I'm willing to drive to get there. And so, you know, I crash cars. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've had, I'm so blessed. And I see volunteers and God bless them. Anybody that goes behind the wire going in and try to help, I got mad respect. I don't care what it is you're trying to do. Just the fact that you want to do that. But I know I should be there because, I mean, you you hit a car and kill or hurt somebody badly, you're going to prison. You're going to a state prison. And if it's vehicular homicide, which it would have been for me, you're talking about a straight 15. Okay, so now you're not just doing a little time in the county jail. You're going into being a convict. And I say that with respect. And so, or or death. I mean, I was going to die or I was going to kill somebody. And so I certainly know that I should be wearing white with blue stripe. And I'm not ashamed to say it. And those men appreciate that. It's not a free world volunteer saying, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner. I could be here. And they're looking out there going, no, you're not. You don't know me. You know what I'm saying? 
And so, and you know, they're the ones that made me like this <laughs> with all the ink right now. <laughs> that tells my story. <laughs> Kit, tell everybody, what does it feel like to walk into a prison, spend time with a dude, and see that light come on and and and, and see them transition to have a, a heart for Christ and, and want to be a leader in the peace movement? There's, I mean, there's nothing like it. And I've seen, it's amazing how many guys get out and reach out to me because I've told them I am not hard to find. And one of my books, one of the first ones that I wrote, I would take it into prison. This was our curriculum for a while and um, had my freaking cell phone number on the back. (laughs) So I've got thousands, that's a real number, you know, thousands of little books out there with, with brothers in prisons and all kinds of crazy places that have my cell phone number. So when they get out, hey, bro, hitting you up, you told me I could help. And they want to join something. They want to be a part of something. Yeah. And it's yeah. a beautiful thing. But now that I've been working with young incarcerated and, you know, my specialty has become gangs gang certified in a number of areas, youth gangs is, is my heart is nobody wants them. People are afraid of them, mad at them. Nobody believes they're redeemable. And when you see someone catch it, even if it's one out of a hundred, I don't care. This young man that I, I ran across at a place called Eastman juvenile correctional. It's the God puts me in the toughest places first for some reason. And so that was the first, that's the toughest juvenile, you know, facility in the state. I'm talking about young men that are tough. You're 16, 17, 18 year old young dudes that are from the streets and uh, playing the game. And and one of them, he was somebody. He came through um, the prison down or the detention center down there, and I knew he was somebody because they didn't beat him up and they didn't take his stuff. He didn't have to earn his stripes. Mm. That meant that he had a reputation from the streets and from other facilities. And, you know, there are a lot of dudes that know him before he got there. And I watched him work, man. This kid had wisdom and talent. And I began to pay special attention to him. And he became very powerful in, in my circles. We have about 12 kids at a time in circles. And um, he became my go-to guy. I'd say, Quez, what do you think? And he just would come with just knowledge and just wise. He's an old soul, 19 at the time. And so we're standing out in the yard one day and he's getting ready to go home. And I look over and I say, Quez, what are you trying to do, man? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, when you go home, what is it you're trying to do? And, and he said this. He said, I want to be you. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, say more, bro. What do you mean? And he's like, I want to get out and do what you do. And he used the term that I don't like. He said, I want to be a motivational speaker. And I said, bro, I am not a motivational speaker. I'm a teacher. <laughs> you know, whatever. And I said, all right you ever been a superhero? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like out there in the free world on the streets. He goes, absolutely. And I said, we're going to have to tap into that because a lot of dudes say what you're saying. So when you get out, you hit me up. I'm easy to find. He hit me up. And that dude for the last year and a half has become like a, a little brother, but almost like a son. It's crazy. I mean, he treats me like a boss. He's loyal. He keeps his word. He travels from Columbus whenever I need him. I've put him in front of the DJJ board, in front of schools, in front of cops, in front of courts. And I'm teaching him. And one day we had done three gigs in a day. We were at a school, two schools. And then he was on my podcast. And I was like, bro, what did we do today? And he said, "Uh, 
we we spoke. And I said, in a motivational way. And he goes, yeah. And I said, did you get paid today for speaking? And he said, yeah. And I said, what did you tell me in the yard that you wanted to do when you got out? <laughs> he said, motivational speaker. And I said, what are you now? He goes, I'm a speaker. And I was like, the lights came on. And it's been hard, dude. I mean, he had enemies on the streets waiting on him. Yeah. The on his head. He's trying yeah. to pull away from the gang where he's a high-ranking dude. I needed him so bad to show me that this is not in vain, that the toughest kids can change. And that meant a lot to me. I've got things that hang on my wall that death row inmates made for me. They became my friends. Yeah. And when you've had three friends executed on death row, it changes the way you see the death penalty. I mean, it's like, your question's a great one. It's everything when you see somebody get it. Yeah. It must yeah. have been how Jesus felt when when he healed Legion, who was a dangerous yeah. man. It's like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, wow. That's, I, I've not had the chance to meet uh, Quez yet. So if we, we need to, we need to make that, that happen among other things. In fact, I, you know, it's something I've been praying about for a long time. Um, I've never done any type of prison ministry, never really felt called to do it, but man, if you're open to it sometime when you're, you know, taking a, a trip down there, I'd love to come with you. I'd love to come with you. I, I'm curious about the the atmosphere and what goes on. And, and, uh, I, I'd love to join you sometime. So I'd like to make that, make that offer. Be careful. It'll change your life, bro. Well, (laughs) (laughs) be careful. You know, the way the last couple of years ago, what the heck, man? Um, You'll fall in love. I tell people, you go in one time, it'll be an experience you'll never forget, even if you choose not to go ever go back. You got a story to tell, and you'll tell it a lot. You know, these are characters. But some people that walk in get caught up in it, and they got to do it again. And I think that those that are called to the least of these ministry, it's powerful. I, you know, there's a, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say there's, there's a curiosity, but at the same time, and, and I've already brought this up today, you know, I, I see so many guys that do put themselves in a self-induced prison mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not trying to compare the two, but there, there probably are some similarities one way or another. In fact, I'll ask you this, how can you know, the men that are listening to this podcast that are not in prison, that are trying to raise a family, trying to be the best man they can, how can they find peace in their lives, Kit? I think it's service work. Mm. I think that men today, and this is very general, okay, it's very generalized. I mean, there's heroes out there, you know it, guys that are that are called, right? Yep. They have a purpose and purpose is where we tap into our passion. If, if, you know, yep. my opinion. And so, but today we got a lot of men that are tired and whether they're alone or not, they're lonely. They yep. want to be known, you know, they need to, they're afraid. And a lot of times when we get afraid, we get angry. Yep. And we're seeing a lot of that men that are kind of sleepwalking through life <laughs> But they got everything they want. A lot of men, they got the wife and the house and the kids and they got the job and little 401k and playing golf with their buddies on on the weekends. And I mean, everything we said we wanted. And then you look around your middle age and you say, what is this all about? I mean, yeah. What am I doing here? What am I building? 
And the illusion is I don't have time to do that. I mean, service work is I don't have time. I can't not do it. I mean, it keeps me. It's like, you know, when I'm in a bad mood, you know, I'm having one of those days, which I had one boy just recently where I was just jacked up. And when your whole job is to love people and inspire people, yeah. and you have one of those days where it's like, I don't even like people. You know, it's like, I'm so blessed in that I don't get to stay in that space because I will be in a in a facility that day or I will be in a school that day or I will be speaking at some sort of event that day. And you have to get out of yourself and you've got to find the, this place to give and serve when you do not feel like it. And so for men that are doing you know, jobs being valued, important jobs, whether it's selling real estate or doing financial services or insurance, some sort of sales management, a trade, you know, whatever it is, God bless anybody, how, how they're supporting their fam, but they lack purpose. You serve and something wakes up inside of you that you didn't know was there. And you've got a why. And now that person, those people you're serving, they want to see you again, which develops this, there's a need for me, man. I mean, I do matter. And what I'm doing is worth something. And there's so many areas to serve in. And I don't care if you do it once yeah. a month, do it. Take a Saturday and serve. And so I think that's one of many answers to that question. I think it's a good one. And uh says so much about you. <laughs> that that was your answer, you know? You got a big heart, Kit, man. We yeah, just love bro. what you're doing and love I mean, I I agree with you. Uh and and in fact, I, I'm not I don't get I don't get to serve as much I have not over the last couple of years just uh tr- trying to build build a business in the way that I would like to. But there's something about helping others that I hate to say less fortunate, uh, you know, that don't have what I have yeah. um, or have come up on tough times. You know, uh, heck, the other night we were, uh, you, you and I both, we were up at the uh, men's extension uh, here in Marietta, Georgia. I mean, they're, they're guys that can be hugely successful in life. They just hit a rough patch. You Never know? know. And, and I bet you, I don't even have to ask, but you went home full that night. You went home with a different perspective, probably more gratitude than you came in with because you got to see somebody who's going through things. And understand this, man. Every one of us has a beautiful soul. Every one of us have dreams. Every one of us have heartaches. You know, every one of us has been through. I mean, we're so much more similar and have more in common. That dude under the bridge, he has a fascinating story if you care enough to find out about it he yeah a couple bucks might help him you know a little bit that day but a friendship where he feels like a real person again because everybody sees him the felon that gets out and everybody's like you know all right be careful with that one people know when you're around them if you're afraid of them even if they don't know they know they know and it wakes up the predator you know what i'm saying imagine if everywhere you went today people were afraid of you and people were ashamed of you people thought you were less, how that would hurt you as a man. And so, yeah, there are CEOs that went through addiction and mental illness and a horrible divorce and then burned all their bridges and now they're on the street or they're in prison. There's pastors, there's doctors. Right now, this is scary, but there are jumbo jets in the air and pilots are under the influence, period, point blank. Judges, 
that are that are jacked up. You got preachers that are involved in porn behind the scenes because they're addicted to it. It's like we're just a mess, man. I mean, all of us need help. So who are we to look down on somebody who's in a different stage of life? You see what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. That's why it's so important. That's why we have a Friday morning men's group. That's why it's so important to be in community and to serve each other. Mm-hmm. We're built for a community. True. You know, and it's just so important to take advantage of that, you know, and the reality is, as you're well aware, we can't do it alone. No. We can try. I tried. <laughs> and we do. Ooh, I tried. It didn't work out well. Yeah. So it's it's important that we find communities and people that we can engage with that will love us. And, um, you know, like you were talking about with these prisoners, I mean, you know, if you love on them, you can get, you'll get out of them what they're capable of. But many, not just many prisoners, a lot of people don't know what love is. They don't. And they look up in that corner up there. If you see that, that box up in the very corner, you're seeing this on video. He's got a box up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it's like, you know, it's cool. It's a jewelry box. It's handmade. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But it's, it becomes alive when I tell you where'd it come from? Okay. The journey that we've been on, we just see the outside, but all of us have been on quite a roller coaster. I don't care if you're a CPA that's not outgoing, that sits in a cubicle. There is a story there. Yeah. Just get close enough to see it. Well, it changes when I tell you that that beautiful piece of work up there was made by a death row inmate in Alabama they call Psycho. <laughs> How about yeah. that? And mm-hmm. the first time I met him, the first time I met him after I would meet him again and again, he came up to me and I don't know if he knew me. I didn't know him. And um, he's a happens to be a brother of less color like me. He's got some artwork on his face, bald, not a lot of teeth left. And he's a shifty fella. He's got a lot of energy. His name's Donald. And he came up to me and he's like, um, hey, preacher. And I was like, how you doing? <laughs> and I was his, his little name. I'm like, what's up, Donald? And he goes, I want to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, that's why I'm here, bro. And he goes, I don't want to talk to you right here. I want to talk to you over there. And I'm like, okay. So I'm following, <laughs> you know, Psycho, the double murderer, over to a place of his choosing away from the witnesses. And I think this is a good idea. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm following him and he takes me up under these stairs, these dark stairs. And I'm back in there and I look around to see if anybody can see me. <laughs> and, and Donald's one of those dudes that gets too close to your space. He gets inside your space, you know, which in America, what is about three or four feet? You know, keep your yeah. space. Yeah. Well, he's right close and, you, you know, he's all jacked up and I can smell his breath. And he's got a question for me. I don't know what he wants. And first time I've been on the road that, that day in, in Alabama. And he goes, I got a question for you, preacher. And I was like, what's up? And he said, first of all, I want to tell you, I did what they say I did. And I got what's coming to me. I deserve it. I'm like, well, there's a great intro. <laughs> yeah. Where's this going? And uh, and he said, I just want to get right before they take me. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, isn't that what every one of us want? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. want to get right before I'm done here and whatever comes next. And tears begin to, he's not crying, but tears kind of come down over his teardrop tattoos. Mm. And he gets quiet and his lip starts quivering. And I'm like, whoa, this is a sacred moment. And he said, so here's my question, preacher. Can, 
<laughs> I always get emotional. He said, can your God save a man like me? Mm. A man like me. You see what he sees about himself? How he yeah. feels about himself. He's like, can your God accept me? Because if he can accept me, well, I didn't learn the answer to this in seminary. You know, you don't <laughs> do this in a Bible study. Misfits aren't going to prepare us for this. This is a moment, and my answer matters. And it leapt out of me. I wasn't stuck there going, this is a theological question that's above my pay grade. It was like, no, it leapt out of me. And I said, yes. And Donald looked at me and he said, how do you know? I'm talking about this is the question, right? And I said, because he saved a drunken, fallen preacher like me. We hugged like longer than men usually do. And you said, every man wants love. Donald found it that day, and he was so desperate, he went and asked a stranger, and he made me that. And so Donald's still alive, and I can't go back and see him. Alabama won't let me right now. It ain't easy getting to these places, especially yeah. after COVID. They shut it down. But anyway, I, thank you for indulging me on telling that story. But it was it shows you we all want people in our lives. We all want to know where do we stand, and I need somebody to love me and not fear me and hate me. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful message because you know sometimes you see a wooden box and you can walk right on by it and uh, and miss a story like that. So, so that's beautiful, Kit. Kit, tell everybody support my brother here because he just has a beautiful ministry that he's doing. Tell everybody how they can find you and get a hold of you, and we'll put it in the show notes, of course. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, I mean, nowadays it's easy to do a Google search. <laughs> and so if nothing else, you can do that. I'm easy to find, you know, on social media. I'm very We know safe. you're easy to find because you give your number out to prisoners. Come on now. <laughs> That's right, everybody. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, wherever you do your social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, obviously a valuable source. I'm easy to find on those platforms. Also, I love your podcast. We have a podcast, so you can go to powerofpeacepodcast.com. And uh, my nonprofit site is powerofpeaceproject.com. Um, and that's all our work with youth trying to shatter the school to prison pipeline. And then my personal site is kitcummings.com, real easy, where I do a lot of other stuff, you know, with my speaking, my books, and my work with the city county and state so thank you there you go kit we finally got you on i'm so thrilled to death that we were able to hear a little of your story today thank you for coming on the true man podcast you're making a difference in this world brother and it's awesome thank you and back at you i love what you do i'm glad we're friends i'm glad we met that day you're trying to help men i'm trying to help men so we're in this together so Matt, there you go yeah awesome thanks kit yes sir what a great conversation with Kit. We didn't even get an opportunity to talk about his friend Roots. Now, if you want to hear about Roots, just reach out to Kit. Have him come speak at your club, your event, or whatever. He's such a great speaker, and he will introduce you to Roots. Now, I'm sure you would all agree that life seems to move at warp speed. I think you probably picked up a little bit of that even from Kit and I in our conversation, you know, the other day I was talking with my wife and we were talking about a trip that we were on 10 years ago. And I was like, 10 years, are you kidding me? Didn't we just go on that trip yesterday? And I think that really speaks into the importance of finding presence in our life, being present in our life and having 
and finding peace in our lives. You know, I mentioned on the podcast with Kit that we sometimes put ourselves in a virtual prison, which for a lot of people is not that far off from being in an actual prison like Kit often finds himself in. But the power of finding peace lies not in the eradication of those challenges that we run into, but in the resilience to face them with grace. You know, Kit told you his story of a fallen pastor. I've often told my story about a man who lost his identity in life. You know, men often find themselves entangled in the relentless pursuit of success, purpose, and fulfillment. And amidst this clamor of societal expectations and personal ambitions that go on, there is this existence of a profound yearning in all our lives to find peace, a place where the noise of the world fades away and that soul, your soul, finds solace. This quest for inner peace transcends the boundaries of our existence. It extends into the realms of life, faith, work, relationships, and shapes the very fabric of a man's journey through all the tangled experience that a man goes through. And for people like myself and Kit, faith, faith becomes the anchor, the steadies the ship in turbulent waters. It provides a moral compass, a source of hope, and a wellspring of resilience in the face of the adversity that we have going on in our lives on a daily basis. You know, the power of faith lies not only in its ability to offer answers to all of life's profound questions, but also in the capacity to instill a sense of peace that really transcends all of our understanding. And in the light of faith, men discover a sense of purpose that extends beyond the brief pursuits of success and recognition that we sometimes have. The quest for inner peace becomes intertwined with a higher calling, a journey towards becoming the best version of oneself, guided by principles that echo through the corridors of time. And it's a journey that transforms the pursuit of peace into a pilgrimage of self-discovery. Now, as you continue on what is really our lives our transformative journey. It's an ongoing process that we go through. The echoes of your quest for inner peace, well, they reverberate through this collective consciousness in our minds. And it also inspires others to embark on their own journey of self-discovery. Take Kit, for example. It would have been easy. It would have been really easy to walk away from God's voice and not follow his calling. Yet I see example after example of how Kit is making a difference in young people's lives on a daily basis. And when you begin chasing impact with people, as Kit says, hope becomes the new dope. And as one of Kit's favorite mentors, Dr. Martin Luther King says, I have a dream. Well, we should all have a dream to impact each other for peace, love, and grace in this world. We should have a desire to impact each other in a positive and meaningful way. 
Now, one of the ways I do that is by helping men navigate the playing field of life without getting tackled by a Hall of Fame linebacker named the devil. Now, I can't always stop you from getting tackled, but I can show you how to get a few extra yards ahead. And trust me, if you do that, you'll be ahead of most people. So reach out to me for an initial conversation that will probably include us having, you know, a short conversation about SEC football. And then you can talk about whatever you'd like to talk about, because I'm here to listen and guide you on your journey. So thanks for tuning in to another amazing True Man podcast. And thank you, Kit Cummings, for being on the show. Love you, brother. And if you enjoyed this episode, please forward it to a friend. I really encourage you to forward it to a friend. There is a man right now in your life that needs to hear Kit's message from this show today. And please, by all means, go out and leave us a great podcast review. Always love hearing from fans in the true man community. Now with that, don't just have a good day. Just don't have a decent day. Go out and make it your very best day ever. Take care, everybody. Improve your life today with Mike Van Pelt and True Man Life Coaching. Let's develop a roadmap of discovery that leads to success and satisfaction in your life. For additional information and details on how to schedule an initial coaching call, go to truemanlifecoaching.com.